So we're going to continue on in the series through Philippians. This is week three of the, ser- of, of the series, Partners in the Gospel. The title of the message this morning is called Encouraged by Suffering. Encouraged by Suffering. So I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help me. Help me and help you. Help me to preach well and help you to listen well. And then we'll dive into Philippians 3. Lord, we come before you this morning and I submit myself to you. And God, I ask that you would help me to communicate clearly. Help me to share what you've laid on my heart. Help me to explain your word. Help me to explain your word and apply it to our lives. God, I pray for your people that you would touch their hearts and that your word would do its work in our lives. And we would, it would be done all for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So have you ever been watching television, surfing through television, channel after channel? Down in the jail on my knees, Lord, Lord, and I ain't going to be treated One of my favorite shows. Be one of the causes of the July 10th Watching Andy Griffith, watching but the news. after that car was brought out, many people asked. Will of Fortune, who likes Will of Fortune? Look at that, a there carnival are two cruise. Pick up that How about that? Cruise. I don't like to have won a free one. You're watching it all of a sudden, like, out of nowhere. Isn't that the most annoying sound ever? Ah, oh, so annoying. This is a test. Area. Had this been an actual emergency, the attention signal you just heard would have been followed by emergency. This is the type, have, 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 have you had that happen to you? Watching TV, all, driving in your car, on the radio, you're, you're enjoying your programming, and then there's an interruption to the ordinary programming in, in your life, right? And that's what I want to tell you suffering and trials are like. It is like an interruption to the ordinary programming in your life. You're going along, enjoying life. I mean, listen to Annie Griffith sing praise songs to the Lord, right? You're going along in your ordinary life. You're going along in life. You have a happy marriage. Your kids are healthy. You have a good job. Everything's going well. And then there's an interruption, just like that emergency broadcast system signal. Trials are like an interruption to what is ordinary. That's what suffering does. That's what trials and difficult situations do in our life. It becomes obnoxious, right, and irritating. Anybody struggled in their life? With suffering and trials, that's what it's like. It is an interruption to our life. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 18 this morning, and we're going to get some context from the Apostle Paul concerning suffering and trials and these interruptions that we experience in life. You know, suffering and trials are a common experience that we all face. That's one thing that unifies us all together. Would you not agree with that? We may look different, we may act different, have different personalities, we may believe different things about certain subjects, but one thing that I know for sure that I experience and that you experience is suffering and trials. Suffering and trials, they come for all of us. We all experience them. We all go through them. And that's one thing that unifies us together. That's a common bond that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that we all go through trials. And we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul is going to say here about the suffering in his life. And he's going to give us some context that's going to help us to understand the significance of trials, the significance of sufferings, what they mean, and what is happening while we're suffering and while we are going through trials. And let's not forget the broader context of what we're talking about here. 
We saw the birth of the church two weeks ago, the birth of the church at Philippi, at Philippi two weeks ago. And it was birthed in power. You had a, 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 a demon-possessed girl that was, that was pestering uh, a Paul, and, and, and he cast that demon out of that girl. And then the owners, the ones, she was a slave to some owners, and those owners were upset at Paul and said, well, we're, we're going to arrest Paul and Silas, and we're going we're gonna to beat them and abuse them, and we're going to put them in prison, and we're going to threaten them and tell them that they should not preach in the name of Jesus. And while he's in the jail... At midnight, Paul and Silas begin to sing songs of worship to the Lord. They begin to sing hymns of praise to God. And what happened? The, 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 the jail shook. God sent an earthquake and, 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 and opened up the, the prison doors in the Philippian jailer. When he realized that the doors were open, the prisoners, he couldn't find the prisoners. He, he was so upset because he realized that if he would have let these, if these guys, these prisoners would have got out under his watch... It would have been his head was, was going to be, uh, was going to be on the block because he didn't do his duty. And so he was about to commit suicide, about to kill himself with his sword. And Paul said, stop. We're all here. Everyone is here. And so the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to have what you have? What must I do to be born again, to be saved? And, and so they, they preached the gospel. The Philippian jailer is saved and Lydia had been saved earlier and the church is birth. The church is born. It is birth, but it's birth in the middle of persecution. And so this is kind of the journey of where we're, we're headed here. And Paul is, is writing this letter to the church at Philippi to encourage them. It's a, it's a love letter. It's a letter of love and, and affection to this church at Philippi. So let's read the verses we're going to cover here this morning, verses 12 through 18, and we're going to unpack it. It's a, he, he, Paul, Paul says here, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So in these verses, what we're going to look at this morning, in these verses, I see... I see four truths that will help us to understand suffering and the gospel and why it matters. Four truths that will help us to understand suffering and the gospel and why it matters. So the first thing I want to pull out is found in verse 12. First thing is this. First truth is that Christian suffering is not meaningless. Christian suffering is not meaningless. Look at what Paul said in Philippians 1.12. I want you to know, brothers... Speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to me, has really served to advance the gospel. That is a powerful section of scripture. You know, the first message I preached at Living Word Church on a Sunday was in 2013. Pastor Renee and the team were in Africa, and I preached that verse right there and two or three others. First Sunday that I, I preached, and I had a, a coat that was too big for my skinny frame. I remember watching the video like, why did I wear that jacket? <laughs> Thank God for slim fitting clothes that have become normal now. And, um, but I remember the, the title of my message was The Unstoppable Gospel. 
Who remembers that message? Who was here for that? The unstoppable gospel. My wife was here. I want you to know I was sitting, and not many of you were here. I was sitting right over here, I believe right here. I just come on staff at church in 2013, and I was shaking. My legs were shaking uncontrollably. I did not know if I was going to be able to come up here and be doing this. <laughs> and and I, I leaned over Estelle. I said, Estelle, you need to pray for me. So she laid hands on me and prayed for me, and I came up, and I preached God's word. And so we're going we're gonna to unpack this text. I'm coming at it a little bit of a different angle here, but I, it was a, it's, it's a powerful section of Scripture, verse 12. Think of what he's saying here. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and what is he referencing when he's saying what has happened to me? He's referencing what happened to him specifically at Philippi when he was birthing that church and he was put into jail and he was beaten and persecuted. But he's also referencing what has happened to him in his life as a missionary as he has gone all over the world preaching the gospel. He's talking about the sufferings that he has experienced. Now listen to what he says here. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served for good. He's saying that my suffering has resulted in good. It's resulted in the furtherance of the gospel. He has a perspective about the trials and the sufferings that he experienced in his life for the gospel. He has a perspective that he can actually say to his brothers in Christ, his sisters in Christ, you know what? This has actually served to be good. To be profitable, to be good and profitable for the furtherance of the gospel. So what, what has happened to Paul? I think to help us to give us context, let's read some of the things Paul has went through. 2 Corinthians 11, countless beatings, often near death. That happened in Philippi. He was beat. He was whipped. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Can you imagine that, being stoned? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I'm thankful that the the carnival valor was not adrift at sea and we didn't shipwreck. I have to say this, oh my goodness. We're eating dinner and they have the Celine Dion playlist. And every night, near and far, wherever. I'm like, are you actually playing that song right now? That's the Titanic song. The first time we heard it, Estelle said, that's some bad juju right there. (laughs) This is not good. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm sorry. My brain's kind of scattered. I need to kind of focus here. But I don't think the Apostle Paul was thinking about the Titanic when he was adrift at sea. But I'm glad that I've not been there. I was not adrift at sea. Can we focus back here? A day, a night and a day was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, his own people. Aren't you glad? Wouldn't it be terrible if your own, my, if my people, my own people, right? Your family, your, 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 your peeps are against you. Paul's peeps were against him. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often, often without food. I was not without food, I'm sorry. I was not without food on that cruise ship. Oh my goodness, I said that earlier, but I was not without food. Paul was often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things. So it's just, it's like the cherry on the top of the cake. With all of this suffering, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The churches that God used him to plant. The daily pressures. 
This is what he is referencing when he says, Brothers, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He has a positive outlook. Can you imagine how many of you, let's just be real for a second. Let's not be this fake religious Christian thing where we talk in Christianese. Let's just be real for a second. How many of you, speaking to me and myself, would have a positive outlook if this was our experience? We'd be like, I'm out. Like on Shark Tank, I'm out. I'm done. I mean, I I can't even, like we read stuff like this, we can't really connect with that. Because we don't know what that is. To not be able to eat because of the gospel. To be shipwrecked because of the gospel. To be beaten because of the gospel. On and on, to be beaten, to be in jail, to be in prison because of the gospel. But he says, I want you to know, brothers, that it was actually good because it served the purpose of the furtherance of the gospel. And here's what I want to tell you. Christian suffering is not meaningless. It's not meaningless. The trials and the sufferings that you experience in your life, they are not meaningless. Why are they not meaningless? What was the perspective that Paul had that helped him to have that perspective about his trials. 2 Corinthians 4 gives us a clue. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, our physical body, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. (laughs) Let's think about what we just read. 2 Corinthians 11. All those sufferings. Listen to what he says here. For this light, momentary affliction Did that sound like a light, momentary affliction he experienced in his life? Look at this perspective. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing. It's doing your work in us. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How could Paul have that perspective we read in Philippians 1.12? Because he had an eternal perspective about life. This earth was not his home. He said this life is transient. These afflictions are temporary. They are light. They are momentary. In comparison to eternity. In comparison to heaven. In comparison to the joys of heaven. You see, here's where we get Here's where we struggle with our trials and our afflictions and our sufferings in this life. Here's what happens whenever they, when they overwhelm us and we lose our perspective. It's because we've placed too much emphasis right here and right now. It's because our affections are more rooted here than they are here. You guys follow me? That's exactly what takes place. That's why, that, that's what the enemy does. That's what he uses whenever our affections are so rooted here and now. Whenever we go through difficulties in this life, we lose the eternal, the eternal perspective. And it's hard for us to, to keep our joy and our satisfaction in Christ. The Apostle Paul had an eternal perspective that changed everything. It changed how he evaluated what mattered most in this life. We must understand that God is at work in our suffering. He's at work in our lives He's at work in our lives, in our suffering. He's at work in our lives, even when things aren't peachy. Even when things aren't going well. He is at work. Daniel Henderson said in his book, Defying Gravity, he said, before God can remake us, he must first break us. The truly lasting lessons are learned through suffering. 
Wounds are the preface to true greatness. You guys hear that? Wounds are the preface to true greatness. The truly lasting lessons. And I, I, I can agree with that. Can you agree with that? That the, the things that have stuck with you in your life are the result of what you've learned as you've gone through difficulties in your life. That we, we can all agree with that. That when we go through trials, when we go through suffering, when we go through difficulties, those are, this, that, that's the way that the Lord works in our life and teaches us some of the most valuable lessons that we learn as Christians. And it's the, through suffering that, that is the preface to true greatness. Oswald Chambers said about suffering, if we are ever going to be made into wine, we will have to be crushed. You cannot drink grapes. Think about that. You cannot drink grapes. If we're ever going to be made into wine, something that's useful, you're going to have to be crushed. You can't drink grapes. Grapes become wine only when they have been crushed. Let's think about the different Bible characters that have been through suffering other than Paul. Job lost his family, his fortunes, and endured painful misunderstandings from his friends before he was blessed with a deeper understanding of God and the restoration of his life. Joseph was rejected by family and forgotten in a prison he did not deserve before God used him to save the day for Egypt. Moses endured the desert in 40 years of obscurity and bewilderment before he became the great leader of Israel's deliverance. David ran for his life many years, facing painful rejection and perplexing delays before he became Israel's king. Hosea endured the pain of repeated infidelity after marrying a prostitute before he became a powerful prophet. Peter felt the regret and brokenness of his own failed loyalty before he preached with power at Pentecost. And Paul was blind, broken, and banished on the backside of a desert in preparation for his world-changing ministry of church planting. He, he, he became even stronger through the weakness of a nagging thorn in his flesh. Suffering as a Christian, is not meaningless. God is working in our life in the middle of our suffering. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are, whatever trial that you're facing, if you will stop and say, Lord, help me to have an eternal perspective, help me to see beyond what I'm experiencing right now, then you can say, as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.12, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, has actually served to be good in my life. Suffering as Christians in this life is not meaningless. As believers with an eternal perspective, we evaluate life differently than the world. God is working through the sufferings we face. He's working through them for his purpose to bring glory to his name through our life. You ever, ever thought about how pearls are made? You know, an oyster an oyster, pearls come from oysters. But listen to how pearls are made. When a grain of sand gets inside of a pearl, it is one of the most irritating things for an oyster. And so they can't get rid of it. Nothing that they do, because they, they're an oyster. Can you get rid of anything if you're an oyster, right? So they have a grain of sand stuck inside of their shell. And so what they do is they coat the grain of sand over and over and over again and over and over again. They're coating that sand and it brings comfort to them, but they can't get rid of, of the irritation of the grain of sand. And it, it's, it's a coating over and over again. The coating doesn't get rid of it. 
of the sand. It just brings comfort. Over time, the coating produces something valuable. Over time, it produces what's called a pearl. A pearl is the result of an afflicted oyster. A pearl is the result of an afflicted oyster. The pain results in beauty. The pain results in elegance. The pain results in something of great value. I want to tell you, when God allows you to suffer, when God allows you to suffer, it's because he is working something good in your life. And you may say, Pastor Ben, I don't want to hear that because that's too hard for me to hear. It's the truth of God's word. When God allows us to suffer, it's because he is working something beautiful in our life. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's suffering. That's pain. God, Christian suffering, brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are born again, I'm here to tell you, there's meaning and purpose in your suffering. When God allows us to suffer, he's not abandoned us. He's not turned his back on us. He is going to work through that suffering to bring good for your good and for his glory. Christian suffering is not meaningless. And the apostle Paul spoke it and said it so very clearly to this church at Philippi. What has happened to me has actually served for the furtherance of the gospel. Moving on, let's read Philippians 1, 13. He continues his thought. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. All this suffering I've experienced, it has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The second truth we're going to glean from this verse in verse 13 is that Christian suffering testifies to the world. Christian suffering is not meaningless. And Christian suffering, as you suffer and you go through trials in your life, it testifies to the world. Now, when he says here that the, all the imperial guard has come to know that his suffering is for Christ, what does that mean? Just a little understanding of what's going on. Paul is in chains in a Roman uh, house. He's in a house arrest in chains, and he's chained 24 hours a day to a Roman soldier of the imperial guard. And there's a, there's a turnover every six hours for a new soldier to come and be chained to the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul for any length of time? What do you think was going to happen? You're going to hear the gospel. You're going to, if this brother who can say all that he said and say all this suffering actually served for the advancement of the gospel, he had a singular focus. And if you were connected to him for any moment of time, he's going to tell you about the resurrected Christ. He's going to tell you one day I was on a donkey headed to kill some Christians and the light shone from heaven and knocked me off my donkey. And the Lord Jesus himself spoke to me and he recounted that story. I, I, I bet you every new soldier, every six hours, they're coming they're like, oh boy. Here we go. I'm going to gear up. I'm ready to hear about Christ. Listen to what it says here. He says, he says, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And then he says, and to all the rest, that my suffering is for Christ. The world is watching. They were watching him. The world is watching us. The world is paying attention to us. And here's what I think the world wants to know. Here's what they want to know on the outside of this, these, these four walls here, where it's safe, where it is a safe environment, where we can come and we can worship the Lord, and life is good in here. What the world wants to know is that when you leave these walls and you experience real life, 
and there's real pain and there's real suffering. They want to know if what you believe when you're here lifting your hands actually works out there. The world is watching. Do you really believe? Are you really going to serve your Lord whenever it gets difficult? Are you really going to serve your Lord when your loved one passes away? Are you really going to serve your Lord when your loved one gets cancer? Are you really going to stay in the faith when the trials of this life hit you? The world is watching, and here's what the Apostle Paul says. They all know. They all know that my suffering is for Christ because I've held on to my faith. I've held on to my testimony. The world is watching our lives. They're wanting to see if what we believe actually makes a difference when real life happens you remember the 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 account between jesus and peter jesus is headed to the cross and he looks at peter and he says peter you're going to deny me before the rooster crows you're going to deny me three times peter says lord i would never do that but in that conversation jesus tells something to peter that is really profound and and i think it really speaks to us as well as christians he tells this to Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-one through 32, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. He wants to have you, to destroy you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The apostle Peter, who was going to preach the first New Testament sermon on the day of Pentecost, was going to fail before that. He was going to deny his Lord three times, and it was going to be one of the greatest tests of his life. And that's what I want to tell you, that when the trials and the testing come, here is what is happening. The imagery that Jesus gave to Peter, it's like Satan is going to sift you like wheat. And that was an imagery that Peter would have understood well during his time, that whenever the harvesters when the harvesters would get the grain from the wheat field, they would harvest good grain and bad grain, and they would put it in a, in a big colander. You guys have used colanders before for rice or for, or for noodles. Well, this is a lot bigger of a sieve or a colander. It was, it was about this big, and it needed two people to hold on either end. And when they would take that grain mixed with good, bad grain, and they would put it into the, into the sieve, into the colander, they would have to flip it up. They'd have to violently shake it. And get the, the grain and the, and the bad grain to fall, f- go into the air. And then the wind would blow away what was bad and only the good would remain. But it was like a violent shaking that would take place. That's what Jesus was telling Peter that Satan wants to do. And that's what he wants to do in our life. Is that through our temptations, through our trials, he wants to violently shake us through the sufferings we face. He wants to use it for, our, for, our, for, for evil against us. God wants to use it for our good. But the enemy wants us to deny our faith. And that's what I'm trying to say is that the world is looking. And when the shaking comes, because it comes from all of us, for all of us, are we going to stand? Is our faith going to be shaken? Paul is under house arrest. He's chained continually to a Roman soldier. But he's continually staying in the faith. And the whole imperial guard knows that he is standing for Christ. How can he do that? How can his faith not waver? Because he understands something. James chapter 1, 2 through 4 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you, meet various, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The trials in your life that we experience, they're producing something in us. It's producing a steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
The trials that we face in this life as Christians are not meaningless. And the trials that we face in this life, they are working in us to produce a steadfastness that when the enemy comes and he's wanting to violently shake our faith and get us to give up our faith and our hope in Christ, these trials are producing a steadfastness, a perseverance. Have you experienced that in your life? That no matter what comes, you say, Lord, I am not giving up. I'm not turning to the right or to the left. I'm clinging to you. I'm holding on to my faith in you. And it produces a steadfastness and a perseverance. The trials we face, they're working in us to produce steadfastness, to produce perseverance. They are working in us to conform us into the image of Christ. They're working in us to realign our priorities in this life. And they're working in us so that Christ can be more glorified through our life. You know, the truth is, is there has to be less of us seen and more of Christ seen for him to be glorified. Do you know that? When someone is going to see Christ in all of his beauty, he can't see us. They can't see us. They have to see Christ. How can they see more of Christ? How can the world see more of us? One of the ways that it happens is that when we suffer and we go through trials, God strips away what doesn't need to be there. And he works in us, matures us, and grows us so that when the world looks at us, all they see is Christ. And they know that the suffering that you're facing is because Christ is with you and sustaining you. They know that the reason you're making it through is because Christ is with you and you're shining your light for him. The world will stop and take notice. The world will stop and take notice and say, how is it that you still have joy? How is it that you're still in the faith? How is it you still go to church? How is it that you still are encouraged? It's because the trials in your life are producing a steadfastness and a perseverance that no matter what comes, you stand in the faith. Amen? I once said of me what is said in Revelation 12. Listen to this. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. This one that wants to violently shake us as brothers and sisters in Christ to destroy our faith. He's going to be thrown down one day who accuses them day and night before our God. This is what I want to be said of me and of you. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they have loved not their lives unto the death. Amen. That's what we want. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul lived. And that's what I strive after. That I love not this life even unto the death. That I have eternal priorities and perspectives that help me to understand that when I go through trials, the gospel is going to be furthered. When I go through trials, it's an opportunity for testimony for the gospel. Let's keep going here. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1. Christian suffering is not meaningless. And Christian suffering is 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 working to testify to the world through how we suffer. And thirdly, Christian suffering encourages the faithful. Christian suffering encourages the faithful, encourages brothers and sisters in Christ. Look what he says in Philippians 1.14. He says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So let's think about this. First of all, he's saying that his sufferings, what has happened to him, has actually been for good. And then he says, the world is watching, 
and seeing that I'm suffering for Christ and I'm testifying to the gospel through my suffering. And then he says, not only that, but brothers and sisters in Christ are becoming more bold to stand for the gospel and preach the gospel because of my suffering. Think about that. Wouldn't that make you, if I tell you, if I tell you that I'm suffering, and, and specifically in this context, I'm suffering because I'm declaring Jesus Christ wherever I go, and I'm actually getting persecuted. If I told you that, wouldn't the temptation be to be fearful and to think, well, if it happened to him, it might happen to me, and so I'm not going to say what he said in public because I don't want to happen to me what happened to him. Isn't that the natural response? But listen to what it says here. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Actually, the persecution he experienced, the suffering he experienced, actually caused the brothers to be more encouraged because of the way that Paul was suffering. He was suffering in faith and in Christ and for Christ, and they became more bold. So here's what I want to tell you. When we suffer as brothers and sisters in Christ, it encourages one another. When we go through the trials that we face, God uses it to strengthen each other's faith in Christ. That's what Paul was saying here. One of the greatest tools the Holy Spirit uses to help us stand in faith is our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you believe that? I see your faces. I see your trials. Some of you, I I don't know all your stories. I don't know all the things that that you have been through in your life. I I can't possibly know all of them. But as, as I look out, And look out at this congregation and I see different faces. I I know different stories. And I know the trials that you are going through or that you have been through. I see them. I see your faces and my heart is strengthened. I know your stories and I'm encouraged by your faith. By your perseverance. By your refusing to allow the trials of this life to take you out. Some of you I know. Some of you I know you've been tempted to give up on your faith. Because of the trials that you face. It encourages me when you stand in faith. I I will never forget. I will never ever forget. Troy and Kara Castile. When Gabby. Was tragically killed in that car accident. And he was standing right here. And I was standing right over here. And his daughter had just been killed. And he is lifting his hands. In worship. To his God. I mean. I don't care what I'm going through in my life. If my brother Troy can praise God in the middle of that trial, I can praise God. And that's what it does. When I see your face, when I see your suffering, when I see your trials, and you're in faith, it encourages my faith. This is what our community of this is why our community of faith matters so much. This is why our unity matters so much. We need each other. This is what that picture of that Jenga set is. Is that when we're all here and we're all gathered and we are here supporting one another, when we suffer, when we go through trials, we're there to support each other, to strengthen each other. And when we watch each other walk through trials in faith, it strengthens us in our faith. Our life of faith in Christ doesn't just impact us. We impact one another. I can be bold because you are bold. I can be faithful because you are faithful. I can persevere because you persevere. I can choose joy because you have chosen joy. I can trust God because you are trusting God. You guys get it? 
Because you're faithful, because you persevere, no matter what's going on in your life, I can do it too. That's the strengthening that happens in our life. We are partners in this gospel that is greater than our sin. We are partners in a gospel that is greater than our greatest failure. A gospel that is greater than our greatest pain. We are partners in a gospel that transcends this life and unifies us together in our love for our Savior. That's what we are partners around. Around a gospel that transcends all the suffering and the pain of this life. A gospel that is greater than our sin or our greatest failure. I want to tell you, if you've come in here this morning and you feel like that that your sin and your failure, it's too great for God. There's no way. There's no way that he would accept me. There's no way that he would receive me. There's no way that he would forgive me. I've done too much. I'm here to tell you this morning that there is no sin that you can commit that God will not receive you if you come to him humbly in faith. If you will turn from your sin, if you will reject your sin and place your faith in the finished work of the cross, he will receive you with all of your sin, with all of your failures, and he will begin the process of making you brand new, making you into who you have been designed to be before the creation of this world. No matter where you've been, where you come from, what you're experiencing, that's the power of the gospel. And I'm here to tell you, no matter what trial that you're going through, no matter what you're facing in your life, if you will come humbly before the Lord and surrender all you are to him, he will be your peace, he will be your strength, he will be your joy, he will encourage you in the darkest point of your life. You just have to surrender. You have to give, them, give him all of your heart. Amen? When we come together and we worship in faith, no matter what we're going through, we can actually be encouraged by the sufferings that we all face because we look at each other in the eye. I love greeting. I love greeting out front. And I love seeing your faces when you walk up front because I know. And, here, and here's what I pray. Here's what I pray when I'm out there. I pray. I say, Lord, help me to feel in my heart as they're walking up here what they're experiencing. I want to feel. I want to be burdened with what they're burdened with. And most of you, when you walk up, you're all, you're all smiles. How you doing? Hey, Pastor Ben, good to see you. You hug my neck. You shake my hand. But I know that behind this smile that there's something else for a lot of you. And this is what the beauty of the body of Christ is. This is what is the beauty of being a partner in the gospel together is that we are here for one another. We're here to lift up each other's arms in the middle of our suffering and our trials. Hebrews 10 tells us this. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider. That means let us think about. How to stir up one another. To love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. Listen. Coming to church is not just a religious responsibility. Coming to church is not just something that you do to appease your conscience. Coming to church is not just something that you do because you feel like you have to. Coming to church is deeper than any of those reasons. Coming to church ultimately is because you love Christ and you want to exalt him. But we have to see a bigger picture of why we gather. I gather for you. I don't know who you are way up there. I don't know you. Some of you I do. But there's a lot of shadows up there. But I come for you. And you should come for me. We don't come to just sit in the seats. 
But you can do that somewhere else. You can go sit in seats wherever you want to go sit, right? Lots of places to sit. But, 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 but we gather because we want to consider and to think about how I can bless you. How I can encourage you. How I can stir you up to love and good works. How I can hold your hands in your trials. How I can hold your hands in your suffering. How I can pray for you. That's why this prayer time is so powerful. That's why we gather. It's bigger than just these surface reasons. It goes deeper. And that's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Not neglecting to meet together. Oh, I, just, I can't get off this point. It just stuck on me for a second. Some of you, you read that and, and, you, and you come to church because of guilt. You, you read that and, and you think, well, I can't neglect to meet together, so i got to go to church. Oh, don't come to church because of that. Don't neglect to meet because we need each other. Because you need me, I need you. I need to see your face. I need to see you worship. I need to hear your voice lift up songs of praise to our God. That's why we gather. Don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, we live in crazy days. We live in crazy days. We need encouragement in the faith. As we see the world turning more and more to evil and away from good, as we see the world turning more and more away from biblical truth and to evil, we need the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ. So don't neglect to come because of those reasons. Amen? Christian suffering encourages the faithful. When we suffer together, we're an assembling of the suffering. <laughs> and, and, and encouraging here this morning. We're an assembling of the suffering. The suffering saints. We're suffering now. We will suffer later. But when we assemble, we encourage one another. Because our faith does not waver. Why doesn't our faith waver? Because our faith is in a faithful God. Amen. Y'all are, y'all are, y'all are, y'all are dismissed. <laughs> See y'all later. I have some more to preach. I got one, one more point. The gospel advances and we rejoice. The gospel advances and we rejoice. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here. Last four verses here. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the, for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. What's Paul rejoicing in? He's rejoicing that the gospel is advancing any and every way possible through suffering. And the specific thing he's talking about here is that he's in prison. And there's some people that don't like the apostle Paul that are brothers in Christ. They don't like him. And so they think to afflict him while he's in prison to try to take his territory and to try to be the the spokesman for the gospel because Paul's in chains. And he says, hey, they're there to do that because they're jealous of me. But hey, they're preaching the gospel. So in that I rejoice. So here's what I want to say, that no matter what goes on in our life, no matter the trial, no matter the difficulty, when the gospel is advanced, we rejoice. Amen? We rejoice when the gospel is advanced. Paul had one singular focus, and that was the advancement of the gospel. Suffering couldn't stop him. 
Pain couldn't stop him. Jealous preachers couldn't stop him. Imprisonment couldn't stop him. He rejoiced in Christ being proclaimed. And this is why we are partners in the gospel. This is why we come together to encourage one another so that through our life, through our testimony, we can see the gospel advanced. So if we lose sight of why we are here as believers, then the inevitable sufferings of this life will shake our faith and distract us from our primary calling. If we lose sight of why we are here as believers, then the inevitable suffering that we will face will shake our faith and we will not fulfill the calling that God's placed on our life. You must know why you're here. You got to know why you're here. You got to know why you exist as a Christian. You exist as a Christian in this life to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. You got to know why. Why are you here? It's to advance the gospel. I heard this story from Tony Evans. Such a great illustration of knowing why you're here. Tony Evans says this about Yogi Berra. Who knows Yogi Berra? The great New York Yankees catcher. Who, who's a Yankee fan here today? I forgive you. I'm a big Braves fan. They're playing good this year, Brother Joe. I, know, I, I knew who, who the Yankee fan was. I knew he was sitting right back there and right over here. <laughs> but Yogi Berra is playing catcher. And catchers are known to try to distract the batter to get them off of their game. And Yogi was famous for it. But here comes Hank Aaron. Hank, hammer and Hank, right? Hammer and Hank hits lots of home runs. And so he comes up to, to bat and, and Yogi Berra starts talking to Hank. And he says, he says, Hank, your bat's turned the wrong way, Hank. Your bat's turned the wrong way. The riding on your bat needs to be facing away from you and not towards you or vice versa. You got to turn the riding on your bat, Hank. Hank looks at him. This is recounted from Yogi Berra. Hank looks at him, steps up. The pitch comes. He hits it over the center field fence for a home run. He rounds the bases, comes all the way around, hits home plate. He's running towards the dugout. He stops, and he turns around and looks at Yogi and says, Yogi, I didn't come here to read. I didn't come here to read. You got to know why you're here. You got to know why you're called. I didn't come here just to live life. I didn't come here just to take up space. I didn't come here just to accumulate money and have a nice house and a nice car. I didn't come here to do all these temporary things that will one day pass away. I must have the same perspective the Apostle Paul had. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory. And with my, with my eyes fixed on Christ, my purpose is to point other people to that same vision. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 through 31 says this. For consider your calling, brothers. That's what I would say. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Amen. So you stand to your feet with me here this morning.
consider your calling, brothers. Amen. So I want to challenge you here this morning. I want to pray for you as I close in prayer. I'll be back in the prayer room back there for those who who need further prayer one-on-one. I'll be back there with some prayer counselors. And if you need prayer specifically about something in this message, or if you are not a believer in Christ and you came here today and you've heard the gospel and you want to profess Christ, I want to pray with you. And I will be in that prayer room. It's down this hallway on the other side of this wall. I want to pray with you and help you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to pray for you here this morning real quickly. If you are here this morning, And you are going through a a difficult time in your life right now. You're going through trials and suffering in your life that that is really testing your faith. And you're struggling right now. You are overwhelmed in your life right now. And and you just need prayer. I just want to see your hand. Who, who, Who in here? Yes. Anybody else? You just need prayer. Yeah. Just keep your hands up. Is there anybody else? Just look around. Just look around for a second. Just look. Just keep your hands up. We're all, it, it, nothing to hide. I, I, I had my hand up last week before I went to, to the cruise. God blessed me on the cruise, and I'm not, uh, God has refreshed me. We, we need refreshing, right? Just raise your hand. It, it's, there's no shame. Now, just, just look around. Look at your brothers. Look at your sisters with their hands up. Now, let's pray for each other. If you're next to that person, if, 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 if you're comfortable, if, if, if it's okay, just put your hand on their shoulder, and I'm going to pray. And we're going to pray together for each other. Lord, we stretch out our hands to our brothers and our sisters in Christ. We thank you that you brought them here. You brought us all here. Because you're you're speaking to our hearts. You're working in our life. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're good. That you're faithful. God, I don't know exactly everything that these people are going through. But Lord, you do. You see the brokenness of their heart. You see the difficulty of their situation. So, Lord, we extend hands of support and prayer to our brothers and our sisters. God, I pray that you would help them. God, I pray that you would strengthen them. God, I pray that you would let them know that they're not alone. God, I pray that you would help them to see the good in the middle of the pain. Lord, help them to see that you are producing something beautiful in the middle of this difficult circumstance. Lord, I pray that they would not give up hope. I pray that they would not give up their faith, but that they would stand strong, committed to you, that they would cling to you with all of their heart. And I pray that we could be a blessing to them as a body of Christ. Strengthen them today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. See you you next week.